Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 19. I'm kind of excited for this one this morning because of um, um, some new people in the church getting a lot of hits on uh, live stream and um, never really heard a prophetic study on Palm Sunday. Warn you ahead of time, we, I haven't, I don't think I even got close to Tim's record of cross-references. But I made, a, I made a gallant effort at anyway. So I'm warning you ahead of time, we're going to be uh, tying a lot of things, things together here. So where we start in um, Luke chapter 19, let me give you a little background that will give us a better understanding why there were so many people gathered together. If you look at um, um, the timing of this, Jesus has a little less than a week before he will be crucified on Calvary's cross. And we'll be commemorating that that this um, Good Friday. So he's got a little less than a week. And as I pondered this and thought about um, the great multitude Actually, when we're in uh, Jerusalem, this is one of the very first things we do. We take a group picture overlooking uh, the city of Jerusalem with our group, and uh, then we actually walk down from the top of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we have um, a Bible study. But turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and I'm just going to read a couple verses that will give us a little better understanding why the crowds were so great. I just mentioned the Lord had a little less than a week to live. Uh, John 12 verse 1 says, Then six days before the Passover. Well, Jesus was uh, crucified on the Passover. He was the Passover lamb. So now we have a time frame. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, he had been raised from the dead. Now, this had just happened just a couple days prior. Uh, There they made him a supper. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Um, And so what we have here is Lazarus is basically a living witness. And the reason I bring you back here is it tells us that this is six days before the Passover when Jesus would be crucified. But now he's staying with them because he always stayed with them over the Passover. So what's my point? Um... The raising of Lazarus from the dead converted even the hardest um, people that were against Jesus. They could not deny that Lazarus was four days and now he's alive. Well, that went through Jerusalem like wildfire. So if you go back now to Luke 19, and let me draw your attention to verse 36 and 37. 
Um, we call it Palm Sunday because here it says they spread their clothes on the road. Well, they also spread the palm branches, and that's what we call Palm Sunday. Then as he now was drawing near the descendant of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. I would suggest to you they do of many works, but what had just happened was Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I believe where it says mighty works here is, is taking with it the thought people would have thought, yeah, a guy was dead for four days and now he's sitting here having supper. And, um, and now the Lord, this is the only time the Lord is going to allow himself to be publicly acknowledged as the Messiah. Sometimes when he would heal somebody or do a miracle, he'd say something like this, don't tell nobody. And um, there's various reasons for it. One of them was um, it would create a a great multitude of people and he couldn't continue to do um, because of the sake of the crowds. So here we find um, the reason for the multitudes, I really believe was because of um, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now let's go back to verse 28 and um, read through 36. This will be the first of quite a few prophecies that are, are going to be fulfilled this morning. So let's read uh, uh, 28 through 36. When he had said this, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. And remember, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. And it came to pass when he came near to Bethage in Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples. So I'm, I'm guessing that he was at Mary and Martha's house because that's where he stayed. And saying, go into the village opposite you and you'll enter and find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose him and bring him here. And if anyone asks you what it are you loosening him for? Thus you will say to him, because the Lord has need of him. So those who were sent departed and found just as he had said to them. Uh, but as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosening the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And there's no real response to uh, the owner. Either the Lord showed him ahead of time, we don't really know. Whatever, he let them take the colt, they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own garments on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. Well, there's a miracle right there. Anybody who has ever raised horses or colts know that the first time you sit on one, they don't take kindly to it. And they let you know in no uncertain terms, you're, you're, you're about to be removed. <laughs> Not this one. Jesus just got on and it was just like it had been broken for years and years and years. So this in itself is a miracle. But um, um, with that being said, it's also an Old Testament prophecy. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me and go back to the book of uh, Zechariah. Zechariah is right before the last book in the Old Testament, so it would be easy for you to find, which is the book of 
Malachi. And go to Zechariah chapter 9. And again, I want to point out, as we get familiar with studying the Old Testament, sometimes I, I'll tell you, we'll, well, here's a double prophecy. And um, sometimes I'll say, well, there'll, there'll be a gap between one verse and the next verse. And such is the case with this particular prophecy. Now, the prophecy is in Zechariah 9, and it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just at having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This would have been known. Um, it should have been known by the religious leaders that when the Messiah would come, he would, he would come as a servant on a colt. When he comes at the end of the battle of Armageddon, it is quite the opposite. It's a white stallion, steed, and on his robe, it'll say king of kings and lord of lords and a sharp two-edged sword. First time he came as a servant. The second time he's gonna come as king as king and set up his kingdom. So, but now we have a gap between verse nine and 10. And again, I want you to get comfortable and familiar that we're, we're, we're talking thousands of, of years of, of time from verse nine to verse 10. Verse 10 says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow, bow shall be cut off and he will speak to the nations. He'll speak peace to the nations his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So now we have a prophecy of peace reigning over the entire world. We've just gone into, past the tribulation period, into um, the millennial um, period of time. And there's peace on, on the earth. And so we have a gap. There are two different prophecies. One relates to his first coming and the other one relates to his second coming with at least a 2,000 year period of time in between. Let's go back to the book of Luke chapter 19 and we read as multitudes gathered together, uh, they were praising God with a loud voice because of all the mighty works and then they were quoting another prophecy. They were quoting Psalm 118, where they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. But they're only quoting part of it. So I need to take you back, because what's left out is going to be very important for our message this morning. So let's go back to Psalm 118, and I'm going to draw your attention to verse 22 through 26. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is actually going to quote this part of Psalm 118 when you read Luke chapter 20. He quotes this much in Luke chapter 20. But then he goes on to say, this is the day which the Lord has made 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, O Lord, I pray. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, this is what the people were were saying. But what I want to draw your attention to is verse 24. Very important verse in our study this morning. It says, this is the day. This is the day which the Lord has made. And sometime you'll get a Hallmark card and it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it as if it was for every day. No, this is a specific day. It is this day when Jesus is riding a donkey and the multitudes are quoting Psalm 118. And um, again, what I want to point out is a specific day. This is the day which the Lord has made. The only time again where Jesus would allow the people to acknowledge that he was indeed the Messiah. Psalm 118 is what we call a messianic psalm. That means it's a prophecy that has to do with the coming of the Messiah. And the people knew it. So they naturally went back to this psalm and they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, this really ticked off the religious leaders. And verse uh, 39, because they knew full well that Psalm 118 was about the Messiah. And they said, and some of the Pharisees called to, to him from the crowd, to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They actually think you're the Messiah. So they know full well that um, um, this is a messianic psalm. It can be attributed only to the Messiah. And the multitudes were doing just that. And the, the Pharisees wanted to rebuke. They wanted Jesus to say, tell them to knock it off. They actually think you're the Messiah. But what does the Lord say? But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. It's another way of saying, I can't stop it from happening. It's foretold. And it must come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Good place for an amen? Amen. Okay, so basically what he's saying is I can't say that because it has to come to pass. This verse here that they're saying right now, not only am I allowing it to take place and accepting the acknowledgement of him being the Messiah, He's not only acknowledging he's that, he said, but I can't change it. Because if they don't do it, then the rocks would. And you know, at this point, if you've heard the study before, I like to say, don't you wish they would have just shut up for a little bit? <laughs> the rolling stones or the rolling rocks or something like that. There was going to be praising on this day because this is the day. And it's the only day that Jesus allowed himself for this to take place. Now, emotional roller coaster as we look at uh, verse um, 41, we find, now as he drew near the city, he wept over it. This is one of two times that we find in the scriptures that Jesus wept. 
The other one was just shortly before this when he told Mary and Martha that Lazarus would rise again. And and then it says that Jesus wept. One or two possibilities. He was weeping because he was emotionally involved with Mary and Martha and he was feeling for them. Were we to rejoice with those who rejoice? Amen. And weep with those who weep. So that could have been what's taking place there. The other thing is they did not believe that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus that day. And he might have been weeping because of a lack of faith on their part. I would not be dogmatic, but both could be true or one or the other. But, but here is one of two places in the Bible where Jesus actually is weeping. Verse 42, saying, um, and I think there's a sigh of anxiety as he says these words. Oh, if you had only known, even you especially, and here it is, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He's saying, oh, if you only would have known, if you only would have known that this is your day. This was the, 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 one that, the day that was foretold, but you're not getting it. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. What he's talking about here is an event that's gonna take place 38 years later in 70 AD when um, Rome, the Roman legions are going to come and disperse, we call it the dysphoria, Destroy Jerusalem, not leave one stone left upon another, and the Jews are scattered all over the world. And they haven't been back there until uh, this May 14th, 73 years. So from 70 AD till 1948, they were everywhere but, but Israel. And so he goes on to prophesy that this is going to happen and the destruction, um, I think Josephus said it was 100,000 people, maybe 200,000 that were killed during, at this time to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. But then he says, because, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, this is implying something. What is being implied? That they should have known because you did not know this is what's going to happen, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, the cool thing about going through the Bible over and over again, and I've done this study many times, is I get to see a little nugget that I'd never saw before. And as I was studying, um, just going over my notes this morning, what I saw that I never saw before, because you did not know the time of your visitation. If you go, let's say you go to somebody's house this afternoon, you're going over there for a visit. Does that mean you're gonna stay there for the rest of your life? No, you're eventually gonna go home, right? But I never, it never really clicked with me. He's actually telling us here, he's just visiting right now, and that he's going back home. 
So you did not know the time of your visitation. So the whole gospel and, and God's um, plan for the, you and I as Gentiles, they, we made a point on Sunday um, when Peter was um, preaching or Paul was preaching that they were listening to him until all the things that they were going to do he's going to uh, bring salvation to the uh, to the Jews and and um, do many mighty works and he's going to take take his message to the Gentiles then everything stopped they went from hearing his words to saying this guy's got to die that was the Hellenists they were Jews who came from uh, Greece and they were listening intently but when they heard the word Gentile, uh-uh, no Gentile's gonna get saved, and they went from listening to him saying, he's gotta go. If he's thinking about Gentiles getting saved. Um, God's word is for the Jewish people and the Jewish people only. That's who the promises are given for. So, because you did not know the time of your visitation, again, the implication is they should have known. Now, this is a very important departure point where we're going to tie together the importance of knowing Bible prophecy, especially since this time last year. This Bible study this morning, for me, has um, much more implication and um, nearness than ever before, and I think you'll see it before we're done. I'm going to have you turn to uh, Daniel in the Old Testament. Um, Daniel chapter 1. That, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2 is what I want to start with. Daniel 9, verse 2 tells us, In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood... By the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now this is very important. Daniel is saying, I get it. He was taken there when he was 17 years old. He's been there 70 years. So what is he doing? He's reading the Bible. He's reading Jeremiah. The whole book of Jeremiah is saying one thing. You guys are going to Babylon for 70 years. Now, Daniel has been here for 70 years. So what do you think he's thinking? I've been here this whole duration of time. And he said, it's time to go home. How do you know it's time to go home, Daniel? Because I'm reading my Bible and Jeremiah said so. So the importance of knowing Daniel there jumps into a prayer beginning in verse 3 all the way through 19 a prayer of repentance why God sent him into Babylon in the first place I'm not going to read the prayer I encourage you to read it for yourself a little bit later I will say this about the prayer it escalates as it goes on it intensifies as he realizes their disobedience and he calls Verse five, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We've rebelled by departing from your precepts and your judgments. And it's like that all the way up to verse 19 where you can almost feel the intensity. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay 
for your own sake, my God, for your city, for your people are called by your name. And he's going on and on and on. And who interrupts him but the angel Gabriel? Right in the middle of the prayer. He's interrupted. So in verse 20, the prayer is over. And Gabriel, in 20 to 23, begins to speak to Daniel. And he tells him, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, angel Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and he talked with me. He said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. So he's gonna explain to Daniel why he's there. But there's something here I want you to see that's important. And that is, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. In other words, when he started praying, Gabriel was sent. I actually timed it out how long this prayer was. It take, I think it takes exactly three and a half minutes to get from here to heaven. If we use this as, this as a calendar. That's what it says. It says as soon as you started praying, I came. Well, and then it says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out and I have come to tell you, notice what it says that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Let me get sidetracked here and just say something of priority. The greatest commandment is not to be the best Bible scholar in the world and know your Bible inside and out. There's something more important. And he tells Daniel what that is. And that is, Daniel, the Father wants you to know you're greatly beloved. And so we have relationship before revelation. Are you tracking with me? And having it up here is one thing. And there's a lot of people that have it up here. But they don't have, they don't allow the, Paul said it's the love of Christ that constrains me. In other words, I do what I do, not because I got the head knowledge up here and I can tell you guys about it. I do, like Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels a person to share with other people. So the easy way to remember that is it's relationship before revelation. Now he's gonna get the revelation, but what comes first? Daniel, the father wants you to know he loves you a lot. And I wanna tell you that this morning. I want to tell you that your Heavenly Father loves you. You are one of a kind. Uh, There's not another one like you in the universe. You have a different personality. You have a different voice. You have different gifts. Um, It always blows my mind thinking of 8 billion people and God being able to create from here to here, from here to here, one knows two eyes, two ears, and that much space make eight million people look different. Try to pull that off sometime. The greatness 
the greatness of our God. And again, then there's the personality uh, and the gifts, and uh, that's why you're valuable. We determine the value of something by its rarity. Well, you're one of a kind, and he loves you. So revelation, relationship before revelation. Now we get to the information. So in verse 24, we read, 77s, we call this Daniel's 70-week prophecy. 70 weeks are determined. Now, um, I could spend a lot of time explaining why this is 490 years, but that's basically what's being said here. For 490 years are determined, and this verse is important, for your people and your holy city, and what God is going to do over that 490 year period of time is he's gonna finish the transgression, he's gonna make an, make an end of sin, that hasn't happened yet, he'll make reconciliation for iniquity, that happened on the cross, to bring in everlasting righteousness, well that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, he'll seal up visions and prophecies and he's going to anoint the most holy. Some of this has happened, but all of it will happen in a time frame of 490 years. Um, and then, another way of saying 490 years is 173,880 days. That would be predicated on their calendar of a 360-day calendar. All right, that's what he's telling Daniel is going to do. Verse 25, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of a command, so some sort of command has to start this thing, to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince. There will be the seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. This to me is one of the most profound verses in the Bible because it says when the command is given and we're gonna go, we have to have a starting point until the time that the Messiah actually shows up after those 69 weeks. That's why the book of Revelation, there's a seven year tribulation. You see the clock stopped when Israel rejected Jesus. He still owes him one seven-year period of time. After 69 weeks or 483 years or 173,880 days, the Messiah is gonna show up? I've, I challenge my, my Jewish friends who will say, well, we just believe in the Old Testament. Well, do me a favor. Will, will you please just be open-minded and please explain verse 25 and you tell me what you think it says? And they dance around it because they have to because if you take it literally, he's saying that there's gonna be a command that's gonna be given. Remember, he's in Babylon and um, there's gonna be a command given to go back and the people will go back and start to rebuild after being in captivity for the 70 years. So where's the command? Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. It is on page 478. Okay, I'll tell you what's before it and after because I really want you to go with me. Ezra, 
is right before it, and um, uh, Esther is right after it. So it's in that part of the Bible. So we're at um, Nehemiah's time. He is in Shushan, uh, the capital, and we have um, Artaxerxes as the king. I'll pick it up in chapter two. Nehemiah is the cupbearer. So he's the guy that sips the wine to make sure that it's not poisoned so the king doesn't die, okay? That's his job. Nice job to have, I suppose. And it came to pass in the month of Nizon. Whenever it's referred to Sir Robert Anderson, uh, who was the one who really did the math and putting together all of this, was head of Scotland Yard in the late 1800s. And he's the one that we really attribute uh, and, and putting the pieces together for all of this that we're studying this morning. And uh, one of the things he points out when it says it doesn't give the day of the month, you always make it the first day, okay? So it came to pass on the month of Zion. So we're uh, Zion, the first day of the month. In the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Are you sick? You know, he was reading Nehemiah's body language. It's not like you, Nehemiah. You're a happy-go-lucky guy. What's your problem? And um, he says, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I became afraid. Why afraid? Because you weren't allowed to be sad in the presence of the king. And he was, and he couldn't hide it. And he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste. Of course, he's talking about Jerusalem. And its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to him, what, what do you request? What, what do you want, Nehemiah? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, You know, we're to pray without ceasing. And sometimes in your situation, you go, what should I do now, Lord? And you're talking to the guy, okay, well, we'll do that. (laughs) And that's what's happening here. He prayed to the Lord and said to the king, if it please the king and and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So the king said to me, and the queen also was sitting beside him, well, how long do you want to be gone for? How long is this going to take? And when, and when are you going to return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. I'll be back in such and such a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, it, it, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me from the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judea. I want, I want a command given. You're the top dog, you're the king. And I want you to give me a letter that if anybody gives me a hard time about going back to Jerusalem, I got this piece of paper right here that says let me through. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple of the city wall, 
uh, for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to him according to the good hand of my God upon me. We read in Daniel 9, when the command is given to build and restore Jerusalem, even in troublesome times, what happened when they started rebuilding it? Remember Shambhalat and Tobiah? Always hassling them, always trying to discourage them. A real application for the Christian walk. When you're obedient to the Lord's command, you're gonna have Shambhalats and Tobias in your life to discourage you and uh, get you away from doing the work of the Lord. A lot of ap- applications going on here. But we have the starting point. And that's what you have to have in order to go, when you go back to Daniel 9 and read verse uh, 25 again, it tells us that when that command is given, you have your starting point, and from that time that you have your starting point, tick, 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 it begins. And so the question at this point um, brings us to is there anything of significance that took place after reading Nehemiah 2, the first of Nyon as the starting point? Was there anything of significance happening 173,880 days or 483 years later? Oh, yeah. We call it Palm Sunday. To the day. The Bible tells us to the day that Jesus would allow himself to be worshipped. It happened to be April 6, 32 A.D. That um, um, was this particular day that was taking place. Let's go back to Luke 19. And now, what we've just, to me it's just mind-boggling that the Bible is so specific. It gives us the very day that Jesus would be acknowledged. Um, but I also can tell you the very day of the second coming. I didn't say rapture. I'll talk about that later. But the last three verses of Daniel chapter 12 tells you to the day when Jesus is going to come a second time. And that's a whole other Bible study within itself. And maybe you'll get curious and go home and check it out on your own. So back in Luke 19, verse 42, let's read that again. Oh, if only you had known that this is your day. Well, again, the implication is they should have known. Well, how should they have known? Well, the same way that Daniel knew. Daniel knew it was time to go home. Well, how did he know that? He was reading his Bible. And he knew that God said 70 years. And so he said, it's time to go home, Lord. And then the Lord lays it all out for him. To the day. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And, but now they are hidden from, from your eyes. The date here is April 632 A.D. Um, they should have known, just as Daniel knew, time's up, time to go home. And here is where things 
start to get more applicable for you and I in the times that we're living. For from riding a donkey the first time, um, they were shouting Hosanna and, and praising the Lord. Daniel knew God's word and there should have been people in the crowd saying, huh, Jesus is riding a donkey. Seems to me I remember something in Zechariah that when the Messiah comes, he's gonna come lowly on a donkey. They should have been thinking on those terms. And the ones who should have been thinking most about it would have been the religious leaders, but it was the people who were picking up on it, not the religious leaders. They were actually condemning it. And a lot of, when it gets into the importance of Bible prophecy, I can't emphasize it enough. And yet, many churches won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, especially um, the book of Revelation or, or possibly Daniel, where we just were this morning. So now we find it was because Daniel knew the word of God that he was uh, able to get this revelation And um, we find now, here we are, our application for us on Palm Sunday, 2021. Jesus said he would come again to his disciples. Would you turn with me to John chapter 14? John chapter 14 tells us in the first three verses, let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a great scripture for all the junk that's going on in the world today? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also these are rapture verses and he's talking to save people he says I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am you can be also and um, uh, he's been working on that and From here, I'd like to go to um, Matthew, no, yeah, Matthew chapter 24. So let's turn back there. So the Lord is telling his disciples that he's going to leave, but he's going to come back because he's going to prepare a place for them. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, It tells us, um, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Really, in another gospel, it tells us there were just four that were at this meeting. And they they said to him, tell us, when will these things be? And in context here, it's talking about the destruction of the temple, but the Lord's gonna take it way past that because in verse 27, it talks about the second coming of Christ immediately after the tribulation, you'll see the Son of Man. So it's not just, there's those that 
believe Matthew 24, um, all of this fits into up to 70 AD and no farther out. But it can be easily uh, argued, argued against many ways. For instance, he said uh, he's going to go into the great tribulation at a time that has never been or a time that will never be. And uh, so that is yet future. So that's after 70 AD too. So the question was, when will these things be and what will be, notice this, it's singular, the sign. There will be one sign of your coming and the end of the age. Well, Jesus heard the question, but he gives more information than one sign. I'm gonna get to the one sign, but I think of all the things that's taking place today, he began to give an overview of what things are gonna start looking like when we get close to the end of the age. And I believe the rapture of the church is also in Matthew 24, and I'll get to that in a bit. And so he says to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Four times in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, be deceived. Deceived over what? Well, how about simple salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You know what the Pope said this week? The way you get saved is through Mary. The way you get saved is through Mary. Got a picture of him standing in front of a statue of Mary and right underneath it, it says, this is the way you get to heaven, through Mary. That's false doctrine. It's heresy. And it's from the most notable religious figure in the world today. And um, that's what the first thing the Lord says. It says four times, don't be deceived. And then it says, um, well, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, I could spend an hour talking about that, of what's taking place in the Middle East right now. Uh, See that you're not troubled, for all these things must, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Because nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Uh, during men's prayer yesterday, my, I mentioned my good friend Pat Gawhead actually last week. Well, he called during men's prayer. And um, I put him on speakerphone and I said, say hi to the guys who are at men's prayer. Anything we can pray for for Pat? He goes, yeah, I, I, want it. I need to get back to, to Cameroon. Um, and that's where his heart's at. He's not happy in the States. Unless he's doing missionary work in, in Cameroon, he's just not a happy man. But I bring up Cameroon because of the famine that's taking place in that part of the world. A great famine because of, of the locusts and a lot of the stuff that should be on the CBS Evening News, it's not. All you hear about is make sure you get your virus shot. That's all you hear, and they're pumping it up. That's a pretty good pond, don't you think? Pumping it up? Oh, what's the next one? After famines, there'll be pestilence. Man, does that take on a whole new meaning? From one year ago right now? Affecting the entire planet? And then it goes on in earthquakes in, in various places. A huge volcano volcanic eruption in, in Iceland hadn't erupted in 1600 years and that just hap- happened this week 
These are just the beginnings of sorrows. And I'll I'll leave it there because the question is, Lord, what's going to be the sign? And I want you to go to verse 32 and, excuse me, and I believe the sign, we are actually living in that time frame where it's been fulfilled. It's the parable of the fig tree. Pastor Chuck made a movie about this. I always mention that. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branches have already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So we, we get used to that. The trees bud, and we know well, summer's right around the corner. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the very door. What things? Some of the signs that he talks about, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, volcanoes erupting. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away. What generation? The generation that sees the rebirth of the nation of Israel. May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion got up, fulfilled the uh, Old Testament prophecy where it says, could a nation be born in one day? It was. It was born in one day. That was 73 years ago. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not by any means pass away. Well, if Jesus is saying you guys should have known that there was a special day that I'm going to allow myself to be worshipped as the Messiah, the questions come up, will we know the exact day when Jesus said he's going to return? If I go, I'm going to come back and take you to myself. Do we know when that day is to the day? And the answer to that question is, no, we don't. Because all you have to do is read the next verse that says, but of that day, and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but he gives us a clue. As it was in the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in those days? Oh, they were partying and eating and drinking and marrying until the day that Noah entered the flood. In other words, life was normal. For those people who take this and put and say this is a tribulation verse, the last thing that is happening during the tribulation is, is any form of, of parties and, and uh, we're talking basic survival and not having your head cut off. And, and if you're a Christian, you're underground. If you're alive and if you're caught, you're, you're killed. So that doesn't fit. But the rapture does fit because we don't know the, the time, the day or the hour, only my heavenly father. Well, again, I saw some things I've never uh, saw before. Um, we do not know the exact day. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Give you a moment to get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses here. Because in the times we live in, you need to know that God has a purpose and a plan and that he wants you to be comforted through everything that's going on. So here we are, First Thessalonians 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons... 
brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Uh, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and birth pains like, like a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. In other words, there's gonna be people who are gonna be living in a time and they're gonna say things are coming together. And then there's gonna be another group of people that won't be getting it at all because they're not saved, number one, and number two, they don't know God's word. But now he's talking to us. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. My question is, watch for what? Well, all the stuff we talked about in Matthew 24. And be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and the helmet and hope of salvation. Why? And here's a verse that I want you to hold on to. For God has not appointed us to wrath. If you're taking notes, Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 says at the beginning of the tribulation period, it is the wrath of the lamb. Oh, you pre-tribbers are all always trying to get away from persecution. No, I think persecution, I think we're gonna see persecution on the rise. But that persecution is coming from our government, um, leaders, people, and a lot of it is demonic, but it's not the wrath talked about here. This is the wrath of God that's going to be poured out during a seven-year period of time. What I want you to see is you're not appointed to that. You're not going to go through it. My wrath was taken and placed upon Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It's not that I don't deserve the wrath, I do. But he took my sin, and in his place he gave me his righteousness. And you know what that makes me? Grateful. It makes me grateful. Makes me want to love him, makes me want to thank him. Makes me want to sing songs about him and to him and tell my friends about him. Let's face it, before we were saved, we. We, we, we got a new album, and man, this, this is a great song, man. I'm turning all my friends on to this thing. Well, so when you find something that's really good, you share it with your friends. Well, there's nothing any better than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words, just as you are so doing. No, what does it say? God's got a plan, and he wants you to be comforted, even though all hell is literally going to break up. And you're gonna go home for lunch today, and somebody's gonna say, Pastor Dwight said hell from the pulpit. Well, it is all going to break out, and I hope you get more than, than that from it. Therefore, comfort one another. God has a plan. doesn't mean you're not going to get sick or you might die of some disease. But what's wrong with that? 
you know. Paul said, I'd, I'd rather be with the Lord than be here. And I really would. The older you get, I'm personally experiencing that right now. <laughs> things ache. And I am inheriting things from my parents that I don't want, like arthritis, for instance. And those sort of things. No, give me the new body. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Brand new one. And when you have that hope, there's comfort. But if you have no hope and you see the world literally going to hell and the lawlessness that's breaking out, um, uh, my friend uh, Richie Ferre, who is, was uh, very famous musically in the world but also a pastor for 30 years in uh, Boulder, uh, he called to wish me a happy birthday. And... Um, um, I texted him back and I said, Richie, do you know any of those 10 people that were killed in Boulder? Is everybody with me? Okay, so he lives in Boulder, uh, up, in, up in the canyon. And um, he said, no, he didn't know one. I was curious if um, any of the people in his church that he's at knew people. Um, but uh, Boulder is just one new age city. And there's a lot more to that story. But um, here, uh, things are just escalating, what the Bible calls lawlessness. And it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better, gang. And it's all leading up to a time of our departure. That's why I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 26, which I just flipped my Bible open to it. Good Bible. I want to read you a verse that ties in with John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. Isaiah 26 verse 20 is a rapture verse as far as I'm concerned. It says, come my people, enter your chambers. I I call that a place. And shut your doors behind you and hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Now, I believe man has been on earth for 6,000 years. And the tribulation is a seven-year period of time. So if we are taken in the same way um, that, uh, see if you can follow this analogy with me. What's happening here is I'm going to take you to your place And I want you to stay there for a little moment. That little moment, I believe, is seven years. Until the indignation is past. That is another name for the tribulation. And when the tribulation is past, it says, um, the reason they're hiding in their place or taken away from the tribulation, verse 21, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place. To do what? To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and I will no more cover her slain. What did we read Matthew 24? What's it gonna be like? Oh, it's gonna be like the days of Noah when the Lord comes for the church. One will be taken, one will be left behind. In Noah's day, there came a point and the Lord said, enough. It says it this way, my spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. 
That's the way the Lord said. And the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. That was the way the world was in Noah's day. And now he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come for my church. Now, follow, follow through with me here. My spirit will not always strive. So there came this point where the Lord says, that's it. I'm not gonna take any more. And he judged the world with a worldwide flood and eight people survived in the ark. Jesus is coming soon. And pretty soon, the way the world is going right now, the father is going to say to the son, enough. Just like he did to Noah. Just like in Noah's days. To Jesus, he will say, son, go get your bride. What does he do with them? He puts them in their chambers that he's prepared for them. For how long? Until the indignation is passed over. And then what happens? We come back with him. Well, Jesus is a type of Noah's ark. Everybody that was in the ark got saved. Well, what happened? They went up. Judgment was done below. And then they come back. What happens at the rapture of the church? We get raptured up. The Lord comes out of his place, destroys the world, not by water, but by fire this time. That's what it says. But it's a picture. Jesus is the ark. And uh, if you're in your chamber, we are going to come back in the same manner that Noah came back on. Uh, Boy, can I get sidetracked here. You're saying you sure could, Dwight. I know you could. Here's a homework assignment. Find out the date that Noah's ark landed on Mount Ararat. I'm not gonna teach all the time. I'm gonna tease sometimes too. Find out the date that Noah's ark landed on Mount Ararat and see if you can find anything of significance of interest. And if you figure it out, come and let me know. And if you don't, well, it's tough. Just having a little fun here. So we find the church is a type of the eight saved from the flood. The church will be taken out just as Noah was taken up, but they came back down and just as we will be taken up and after the uh, last seven years that God owes Israel, we come back and we return with Jesus to the earth. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning with um, a verse that is uh, probably more pertinent now than of any of the um, Palm Sunday messages that I've given because of the lateness of the hour. So turn with me, so our last one, Hebrews chapter 10. We've read this often, but I'm going to read a couple more verses. I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. And um, we'll begin to close with this this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Well, what was was his promise? Well, I'm gonna come again. I'm not gonna put you through that seven-year period of time. I've not appointed you to wrath. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Remember, relationship before revelation. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what our government is trying to do right now. They want you not to fellowship. They do not want you. The, the, The biggest enemy against communism and this one world government and Reset 21, Curtis Bauer will be giving us an update when he's here for our prophecy conference. And, well, almost exactly a month from today. We'll be, we'll be having that. But they're trying to stop us from the, the worst enemy that this one world system has is the Church of Jesus Christ. Good place for an amen. Because we say, no, there's another way, and it's not your way. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a banner of some is, but exhort one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, the last time I gave this study, we're light years away from, well, I usually ask the simple question, um, do you see the day approaching? How much different this year from last year? What has happened in one year that has changed the entire planet? And so what are we supposed to do? Well, we're to love and exhort one another. Make sure you're hanging in there. If you're having a tough day, don't give up. Uh, make, make sure that you're in fellowship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhort one another. And then it says, do it all the more if you see the day approaching. And I'll close with this question, honest one, do you see it approaching or don't you? I'll leave that up up to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you haven't put your trust and hope and faith in him, there's only one door, it says, that went into the ark. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I am the door. And when the door and the people went into the ark, that one door, what does the Bible say? God shut the door. And so, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there's only one way. There's only one door. And once you're in, he seals it up. And you're signed, sealed, and delivered. And you'll, you'll be taken out, and you'll be brought back. And he says, then look up, because now your redemption is drawing nigh. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close the prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word on this Palm Sunday 2021. And what can we say? We do see the day approaching. Thank you for your word, Lord. And um, 
um, just the unbelievable accuracy of the scriptures to the day of your allowing yourself to be worshipped and that you share these hopes with us and then you sum it all up by saying comfort one another with these words. We do find comfort knowing that you have a plan and that you have not appointed us to wrath. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.